seated. And children can be dismissed to Children's Church also. Kids up to the fifth grade can make your way on out to Children's Church. Go ahead, you guys. Tina and I had the privilege recently to take a trip uh, out to California, and um, it was about what we expected. We were told to do a couple different things as far as vacation-y type things, and one of the things that we did was we went and visited an island. Um, it was not a tropical island. It was not a resort-type island. It was actually Alcatraz Island is where we got, went to visit. It was a great uh, opportunity for us to see that old prison that is now uh, closed down, and as I stood in one of the cells that one of those inmates uh, lived in for quite some time, you can put your hands out and touch both walls on either side. Just five feet wide is the width of the cell. When you go through that tour, when you get to the end, they have a bookstore. And there are several items that you can buy in the bookstore with a little saying on it. You can buy a coffee mug, you can buy a t-shirt, even a poster that says this line right here about Alcatraz. Break the rules and you go to prison. Break the prison rules and you go to Alcatraz. Alcatraz was where they sent the worst of the worst. And you can hear the history behind some of the criminals that were there. You and I are grateful to live in a society where there is justice, where those who break the rules are punished. But what happens when someone breaks God's rules? How does God respond to that? That's a fairly big issue, but we find some things in the Bible that take us to some specifics of letting us know who He is, that He's paying attention and that he is a God who is just. You see, the Bible teaches that the living God is both righteous and just at the same time. When I say righteous, we're talking about morally supreme to anything else that you could imagine. When he is righteous, it means that he's completely pure. There is no sin, there is no darkness in God at all. And some people have a hard time with the idea that God is righteous and then to say that he is just. Because just means that he will reward the good, but also that he will punish the wicked. He is good and he is loving. He is righteous and he is just. In fact, here's what Psalm 89 says about his righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, the psalmist wrote. And because of this, when men have an encounter with God, there will be one of two possible reactions. If you have an encounter with God, you will either respond by trembling or by being emboldened. And it all depends on if you know that God personally or not. And what we'll see in God's word today is that when God reveals himself, the righteous are emboldened and the wicked tremble. All that to take us to Daniel chapter 5. Would you please turn in a Bible to Daniel chapter 5? 
If you do not have a Bible of your own, or please uh, use one of the pew Bibles for today. If you don't own a Bible, keep that pew Bible as our gift to you. It's page 852 in the pew Bible. While you're finding that, uh, we have seen a repeated theme throughout our study in the book of Daniel, and that theme is the sovereignty of God on display. God is in control of everything. There is nothing that he misses. There's not a day that he's not paying attention to. There is not an anxiety that you have that he did not know it was coming and that he is not one who can help you with that anxiety. We don't find anything that God misses. And today we're going to find not only is he sovereign over everything in our day, but he is the one that has set up kings and rulers and he's the one that removes them. And a major transition in history we will look at today. We're going to start in that first verse of Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar then tasted the wine. When he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. He brought brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let's stop there. What's going on here? Well, there's a party going on, right? Babylon is really the capital of the world. They were a a uh, world-dominating empire now. And Belshazzar throws this lavish dinner party for a thousand people. This is a huge party that's going on. And we saw there in uh, verse number one that he not only has this party, but he drinks, and it says he drinks in front of them. There's a bit of a show going on here, isn't there? He's doing this to be seen by all of these people, putting on display before the, putting a display on before this great crowd. He does that, and then look at verse five. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. I've asked you as we study the book of Daniel to look for the contrast between the true and living God and false gods. And here we find out a God that has power. He has power when there was praise being given to several other gods who had no power at all. At this party, the praise is given to the gods of those several different materials, gold, silver, stone, wood, bronze. And Belshazzar has this idea in mind with gods. Here's my gods. Here's what we're celebrating as we get together today. You know what? Go and get those cups that my, I believe it's his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, that my grandfather took from that invisible God when we took over Israel. Go and get those cups and bring them in. What a great opportunity for us to show who really has power. 
And he says, bring me those, and I'm going to say a toast using those cups of the invisible God. I'm going to say a toast to my gods that we can handle right here in front of us and see. A common expression that you and I will still hear today is the handwriting is on the wall. You've heard that before. The handwriting is on the wall. Maybe like in a work setting when uh, something, some things were going bad and maybe somebody's going to get fired. Someone might say, well, I, I saw it coming. The handwriting was on the well, wall. I could tell they were going to quit or get fired. It's a common expression. We find that for the first time right here in Daniel chapter 5. That's where we get this expression from this incredible opportunity that we have to read about fingers of a human hand appearing. Now, we're not told a lot about this. I, um, I think we'll have more clarity someday on questions that we have. But what do you think this hand was like? What do you think? Do, does anybody think it might have been a big hand that was writing on the wall there? There was fear that came right away. So maybe, maybe it was a big hand that was writing on the wall. Maybe that's what comes to your mind. Well, some of you, if you're uh, as, old as, me or, as, old as, as old as me or older, you might remember an old TV show where there was a little hand without an arm walking around. You know, maybe you think of that hand in the Adams family. You guys remember that one. Was that what it was like? Nobody was laughing, I don't think, at that time. But we get an answer to what happens when God reveals himself to the wicked. Look, verse number six. Then the king's color changed. What color do you think he turned? White is, I think white is a ghost. Could have been red. Could have been green. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. You know, if you don't have a, a, a running movie of these stories in the Bible in your mind, you really should do that. Can you just picture this happening? Can you imagine his knees knocking together? Remember verse 1. He's in front of everybody. He's going to give a toast using those cups. He's up there making a show. And where everybody could see him, this hand appears and writes some kind of a message on the wall. And, well, you know, alcohol was involved, so probably some of them for a second thought, boy, I've had a little too much to drink. But that's not what is happening here. There is a good reason for them to be afraid and for his knees to knock one against the other. He had the right response because God is writing on the wall Belshazzar's fate. a memory of a God-fearing man. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. I want you to remember that line right there. O king, live forever. At the end, we'll talk about that. 
Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Too late. And then these next words are my favorite words in verses 10 through 12. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, see the contrast, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the musicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. Let's stop there. The spirit of the living God should be observable in your life and in mine. I love that she had experience a long time ago, probably about 20, 25 years ago, with Daniel. And she remembered him. And so she goes right in and talks to uh, Belshazzar and says, there's somebody who can help you with this. Now, I think two or three times we find um, Nebuchadnezzar called his father. We need to understand in the Hebrew, when that word, with the way that word father is used, is talking about any kind of an ancestor. So I believe uh, through study and seeing the different kings that Nebuchadnezzar is actually the grandfather to Belshazzar. Belshazzar is on the throne now, but technically he's not number one in the land. Because Belshazzar's father, who I believe was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, he is actually alive and he's technically in charge. And we'll find a reference to this when Daniel receives reward at the end. King Nabonidus was Nebuchadnezzar's son. Nabonidus. Nabonidus was the ruler of Babylon, the ruler of the world. But it appears he didn't enjoy ruling very much because he didn't stay in Babylon. He wanted to go and he wanted to be somewhere maybe more pleasant. Maybe his wife wanted to spend time at at a nicer location. So he spent his time mostly in Arabia. And he left Belshazzar in charge of the kingdom. And Belshazzar is the guy that sees the handwriting on the wall. Well, they listen to mom or grandma. And Daniel is given the assignment. And then when we come uh, to verse 11, we find that contrast again between the false gods and the living gods. Where it says, like the wisdom of the gods, that's what was seen in him. Well, what's this mysterious message? Is anybody else curious? What, what, what's this message that is given by God in this miraculous way? Skip down to verse 25. We find four words written in Aramaic by God's hand. Mene, which means numbered. Tekel, which means weighed. And parson, which means divided. Daniel interprets the writing on the wall and he is speaking judgment from God. Now, don't miss this. You need to have a hold of this if you know Jesus Christ today. We are saying there's two responses that men can have when God shows up, when God appears. The wicked will tremble and rightfully so. And the righteous will have confidence. They will be bold. 
Daniel needs to have that boldness right here because he's the only one who knows what that means on the wall. And what he's going to, be, what he's going to tell King Belshazzar is, your time is up. No one would have known if he gave some kind of a different interpretation. He could have said whatever he wanted to. He was the interpreter. Nobody would have known. But he was confident that God is sovereign. He was confident enough to give that difficult message to the king. And he tells him that your time is done. Daniel is emboldened. And you and I need to be emboldened even when it's doing something difficult. We do not need to allow ourselves to be scared into being silent or scared into sugarcoating something that God has been clear about. He gives the message. Look in verse 26. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. I believe it's chapter 45 of Isaiah, well before uh, any of these people were in place or even born yet, where we are told the name of the king of Persia before he was born, before his parents were born. The Bible is proven again and again, and God is sovereign over all things. And Belshazzar is told that he has been weighed and he is lacking. How is he lacking? I imagine the list was probably long, don't you? But we are are blessed enough to have a record of how Daniel told him Before he gives the interpretation, Daniel says, this is how you have failed. This is why you will be judged. Back up to verse 18. Daniel talks not right away about Belshazzar, but about his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, there's that word again, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. God gave that to him. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. In our last study in Daniel, we found... 
the inspired word of God, Daniel, parts of Daniel chapter 4, not written by a Jew, which is where we get almost all the rest of the Scripture, but written by a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4 is written mostly by Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel records it for us, of course. And I believe that when God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar turned his heart to him and praised God. He praises God after he is humbled in response. And from what I see here in in chapter 4, I firmly believe we'll be able to talk with King Nebuchadnezzar, that wicked king, for so long. God humbled him. And it was probably 20 maybe 24 years between when that happened and now where we see Belshazzar in charge. So what Daniel says is, you were able to witness all of this. You saw it all. You watched him up high. You watched him humbled. And he roamed around for seven years like a wild animal. And then you saw him turn to God He said, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. And that's the next lesson for us for today. Greater understanding brings greater responsibility. The more that God gives to you, the more that God uh, lets you in on, the greater responsibility that you have. Some of you have been given incredible blessing more than maybe you ever thought, more than your parents ever thought you would have. You've been given resources. God gives every one of His children some kind of a spiritual gift. And they are to use that gift to serve others in the church. Now, some of you are holding on to that. Some of you have yet to find out what that gift is because you're not serving, you're not doing things for Him And greater understanding brings greater responsibility. To whom much is given, much will be be required. And if you know Jesus Christ, you will be saved from the fires of hell. And I praise God for that. And you will stand before God someday as your judge, not for your sins that was taken care of by the work of Christ on the cross. But you will stand before God as your judge and He will judge your good works. You're still going to have eternity serving God. But those rewards will come, and that judgment will come based on what we're doing in this small amount of time that we have in this world. 60 years, 80 years, 100 years, it's going to fly by. And what we do with this time, we are stewards of our money, stewards of the gifts that we have, stewards of our thoughts, stewards of our relationships. You're a steward of your pain. What are you doing with it? We have these things for a reason, and there's a greater responsibility. That's exactly what Daniel tells the king here. But he has responded with pride. Proverbs 8.13 tells us that pride and arrogance, I hate, says the Lord. Look at verse 23. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven... And the vessels of the house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, 
And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and those in whose are all your ways you have not honored. And that's the last lesson for us today. Never use God-given ability against God's given will. And this is the great sin of the universe. Every individual who has ever raised their fists to God and cursed Him has done that with the breath that He put in their lungs. And He's, hold, he's held off. He's waiting. And He gives a man a chance to repent. So many think they have more time. They've not given their life to God. They've not gotten serious about their walk with Him. They think they have all the time in the world. I'm just going to wait until I'm done with this season of my life. I'm going to wait until I'm past this. Then I'll get serious about God, or then I'll give God my heart and my life. And as we'll see here in just a second, we have absolutely no idea how much, we, how much time we have. So for those of you who are part of the study of Daniel chapter 4, when uh, there was that prophecy given, you've lifted yourself up, you have been proud, and Nebuchadnezzar, you have not humbled yourself, so God's going to humble you. When he was told that, that's what that dream meant. You're the one in the dream. You're going to be like a wild beast. When he was told that, Nebuchadnezzar did not repent right away. He waited 12 months. 12 months, chapter 4 tells us, he thought, about that. And God was patient and was waiting. That will not be the time frame with the king now. Belshazzar, while he's having that party, while he's there with the thousand people and standing in front and bringing in the cups and giving a toast to those false gods, while that was going on, the Persian army had come and they were already in place to take over the kingdom. It's really, history records it for us. It's a stroke of genius because Babylon was a city that could not be conquered. So even if his scouts knew there were soldiers out there, the Medes and the Persians, they weren't afraid of that. The walls of the city were 30 stories high. They couldn't get over that. The thickness of the walls, 80 feet thick. Let them come. We're going to have a party. And he'd be singing, it's my party, and I'll cry if I want to here pretty soon. Because a mile and a half upstream, the Persians had dammed up the river. The Euphrates River ran right through Babylon. And they dammed it up. And the soldiers were able to go underneath the wall and they were able to take over the, at that point the city of Babylon. And God, who's in control of all things, we see a transition in world power. The date is recorded when this happened, 539 B.C. The Medes and the Persians took over Babylon. That's a little uh, trivia you can impress your friends with. When someone says the handwriting was on the wall, do you know when the handwriting 
uh, on the wall expression came up? 539 B.C., you can tell them. That's when that happened. Let's look at verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the, which ruler? Third ruler in the kingdom, because Belshazzar is number two. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. He wasn't given much time, was he? And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Darius is made the ruler over that city, and uh, Cyrus is the king over the whole world at that point. And the sovereignty of God is clear on display. This should give us a confidence as we walk in this world and we're confused. How do we apply this to ourselves? Well, just ask yourself the question, who are you in the story? Are you living like one who is ready for God to come back at any moment? If there was a supernatural appearance of God, how would you respond? I've got to get some things straight before I deal with God. And some horribly have heard about the work that Christ did on the cross and that there is salvation and forgiveness of their sins offered and available, and they're waiting because they think they have years or maybe months, and it might be this day that your soul will be taken from this earth and it will be too late. Who are you in this story? Are you bold? Are you confident? Knowing that, knowing what God's word says and knowing that you're doing the best that you can? Or are you weak? Are you trembling? Are you one who does not want God to appear because you would be ashamed? How would you respond if God revealed himself today? Would you tremble? Or would you run to him and give him a hug and say thank you? Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for who you are, that we have your ear even in this moment, and that we don't have to wait for some kind of a message to be written on a wall with a hand, but we can pick up your very message to us in your word. God, I would ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would allow us to spend the time that we have in this world being responsible understanding that we have a greater responsibility with who we are, with what we've been entrusted with. Help us not to squander it. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your patience. I praise you for your patience with me. I thank you for your patience with all those. Some right now, the thoughts in their mind, those those places in their mind where they don't want anyone to see or anyone to know, you can go right to those places. And you're loving and your forgiveness is there for whatever is in their past. And for those who are struggling, for those who are trying to get more victory, it's available. We thank you for leaving us here to do your work. It would be my prayer that individuals that represent this church family, maybe some that are listening on the broadcast today, that another 
would say of them, I know one in whom is the Spirit of God. May that be me. Help us not to be Christians in the secret service. Help us to be bold, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, for the wonderful privilege that it is to be called your son. As we have our heads bowed, I want to ask the piano to play through and let me give you a chance to pray today. There's been a few different directions that the text has taken us. Maybe God's challenged you in one of those ways. Maybe you're here today and, and you've been waiting on getting serious about God. Why are you waiting? This day can be the day you get serious about Him. Or it could be the day of your salvation. Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross. And if you will just call out and ask for forgiveness, He promises to do that for you. Humble yourself and he will forgive you and make you his child. You can pray even right now.